0: Oh, good morning, Evergreen. Happy World Cup Sunday. I brought my ball with me today. It's a little sad. So um, we are experiencing something uh, that is first in its history, and that's that in in its 92-year-old history of the FIFA World Cup, it is happening at the exact same time as Christmas. Friends, the World Cup And Christmas has collided, and obviously, this guy is torn, right? What's happening here? And so, I have been asking myself, what does the rolled cup have in common, if anything, with Christmas? What does the rolled cup have in common with Christmas? This is the question that I want us to explore today together, and I thought it would be helpful. Uh, to read a portion of the Christmas story. Now, this isn't the Christmas series. That starts next week. We invite you to come to Christmas for All People. But this is the Christmas message before the Christmas series. Does that make sense? It makes sense to me. Let's read in Luke 2. (laughs) Luke 2, it says this. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place, why Quirinius, the governor of Syria, and every the governor of Syria and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth to Galilee, to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him. And was expecting a child while they were there. The time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Can we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for our time to gather before your word. We are trusting that it is your Holy Spirit that will speak not only to us as a congregation, Lord, but to the individual hearts. In the room and online, we anticipate uh, this transformative time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And so, what does the World Cup have in common with Christmas? Well, I thought of a few potential ideas. The first one is both require waiting. Both require waiting. Now, I don't know about you. I love Christmas. I love Christmas. And so for me to have to wait 12 months, right, I have to wait. I have to be patient. Well, the World Cup, if you don't know, is an event that actually happens every four years. And this particular one, because of its location in the Middle East in the country of Qatar, we actually, as soccer fans, we had to wait four and a half years. That's torture, friends right? Both require waiting. Both are seasons where a lot of money is spent. Lots of money is spent during Christmas. Lots of money is made during Christmas. Lots of money is spent in Qatar in the World Cup. And so both require lots of money. And then the last thing I considered that could be uh, argued towards that both have um, passionate fans, Right? There are people that are just as passionate about Messi as they are about Mariah Carey and that Christmas album. <laughs> right? <laughs> At least the department stores believe that we are. Right? But none of those are what I want to focus on today. Today, I want to make an argument that what Christmas and the world have in common is this, that they both move people. They both move people. And I want to start with the World Cup, right? Because uh, the first thing that comes to mind is the fact that right now, there have been literal bodies of people that have gone from all over the globe to this small Gulf country of Qatar. And experts who are studying this are saying that by the end of it all, Qatar will have had 1.5 million visitors. And we're talking about a country of 3 million. That's a 50% increase in 30 days, 45 days, 90 days, 90 days. But not only that, um, there will have been at the end of 64 games played in five different cities, in eight stadiums, seven which were built in the last uh, 12 years, there will have been 3 million tickets sold to games. And that's not... The most impressive number, FIFA has put out that in their early stages of ticket release, 17 million applicants were received. That's how many people wanted to physically be at the World Cup. The World Cup physically moves a lot of people. But we know that it, that's not the only way there's movement during the World Cup. There's movement of attention, right? Uh, people are going to watch the World Cup, and, and research shows that by the end of this tournament, there will have been three to four billion wow. viewers that watch a portion of this tournament. And I've experienced that this week because when I've called family members and I've wanted to have deep connection, uh, they're looking past me towards the game, right? And I'm like, mom, can, you, can we connect here? Your, your, your youngest is trying to connect here, right? And she's like, oh. Casi, casi, casi fue gol, right? (laughs) And so billions uh, have drawn their attention, moved their attention. And the last thing is we know, because it's sport, because we we understand this, whether soccer is our sport or not, we understand that sport moves us in emotion. We know that many will be moved because of the World Cup. And I just want to share a quick example of this, of something that happened just this week Uh, I'm going to show you a short clip of a video of a school in Mexico where kids are watching a moment in the game between Mexico and Poland. So check this out. Now, where those kids moved? <laughs> right? And I just want to just have you guess, what do you think they were reacting to in that moment? Someone said goal? Yeah? Yeah? Well, if you watch the game, the goal was, the game was actually scoreless. There was no goals. Yeah. So what these uh, young Mexican uh, fans were reacting to was actually their team blocking a penalty shot. So that's a reaction to a no-score moment, guys. Can you, can you imagine had a goal been scored? Can you imagine had Mexico had won that game? Talk about deep, deep emotion. And so the World Cup, it moves, it moves bodies, it draws attention, and it moves emotion. And I just want to say uh, that uh, Christmas does the same thing. That the story of Christmas, not only uh, now, but for the last 2,000 years, has moved lots and lots of people. And I pray by the end of this message, by by the time we are done celebrating the Christmas season, that you also are moved in more than one way. And so I want to dive into the portion of Christmas that we just read today. And the first thing I want to build off of is the fact that the Christmas story included a global movement of people. It's what we read in Luke, right? In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And what happened? Everyone went to their town to register. And so what do we see? That Part of the Christmas story meant that bodies had to move. There was a physical, global movement of people, and it all was at a command or by the command of one man, Caesar Augustus. And here's what you need to know about what's happening here. This was um, the Roman emperor, the Roman ruler at the time, and he actually gave himself this title of Caesar Augustus. Augustus actually uh, translated to exalted um, ex- uh, exalted one. And so that's all you need to know about who this man was and what he was doing because what he was doing was he was forcing every single person to participate in this census because what it resulted in was effective taxation. And so you could say that what's happening right now in the Christmas story is that Caesar Augustus, he had his money on his mind. Do you see that? He had his money on his mind, but aren't you glad that as Caesar Augustus was concerned about his rule and his livelihood, God was concerned about moving one particular family, the family that's at the center of the Christmas story. And that's who I want to look at today. Let's look at these family members first. Let's look at Joseph. It says in verse 4, as we read, So Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. And so we have these two separate men. We have Caesar Augustus and Joseph. And in their time, they couldn't have been more opposite on the social ladder. But what Luke informs us is that Joseph actually was not just any regular man, but Joseph actually had kingship in his blood he was part of the royal family and that's significant to the story because as we know that there were prophecies made about this coming savior and one of those was based on a promise that God gave King David in second Samuel that there would be someone from his bloodline that would rule forever and so you see this connection that God is working through this family, through this man named Joseph. And it's important to also know that Joseph uh, came from a, a family that happened to also be from Bethlehem, the town of David. And that's significant because we also have in Micah prophecy that says that from Bethlehem, this small town, would come a ruler. And so Luke is loading us up with prophecy. He's connecting the dots for those that are looking for the significant features of this story. And so Joseph, in order to be a part of this grander story, God's greater story, Joseph had to move. Joseph had to move. And so I want to I want to uh, consider that the Christmas story, it moved individuals into a greater story. The Christmas story, although it started with a global movement of people, it moved individuals into a greater story. And so that movement for Joseph, it involved going from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And um, if, if we do our, 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 our research, we know that that was 80 miles And so an 80-mile trip at the time was actually pretty costly, both in time and in resources. And so Joseph, this was a huge inconvenience. For him to have to stop his life and travel 80 miles to register for the census, all not for his benefit but for the benefit of a ruler, was very, very disruptive. But I want to... I want to argue that this was not Joseph's biggest problem in that moment. Having to travel sucked, but that wasn't his biggest problem. A bigger issue uh, we learn about in verse 5, it says, He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. Now, verse 5, I believe, is a casually stated, scandalous statement. Scandalous statement. My translation of that is Joseph was traveling to his hometown with his pregnant fiancé. Pregnant fiancé. That is not something that a Jewish man who was devout wanted to combine. He didn't want to have to go home to his hometown and introduce them to his pregnant fiancé. It makes me think of the, the first time you introduced your significant other to your family. Do you remember that moment? Did you not desire that everything go perfect? Yeah. <laughs> right? We all do. And I can't imagine Joseph wouldn't have wanted the same. But here was Joseph. He had to disrupt his life with this 80-mile trip. And he had to introduce his family to his pregnant fiancé. Yeah. But it gets spicier. It gets spicier because not only is fiance pregnant, he had nothing to do with that pregnancy. <laughs> do you see how this is a probably not the way Joseph planned his life to go. How many of you've ever experienced something that you didn't plan? <laughs> Friends, the Christmas story highlights this unplanned adventure that Joseph is now on. And so I want us to consider that moving into God's greater story requires movement we might not necessarily plan or wish for. That sometimes God writes stories that we resist because it doesn't look like our plan. This is not the way it's supposed to go. God, what are you doing? But can I just pause to remind you that so far, things are going exactly as God planned? Isn't that incredible? And so Joseph is not the only one, I think, experiencing these emotions. I think that uh, we also have Mary, because in verse Uh, 6, it says this, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room for them. And so while they were in uh, Bethlehem, uh, the, the time came for them to have Jesus and We know that this was specific, this was what God had intended all along, and so we know that Mary, like Joseph, was living under submission to God's plan as she was giving birth to her first child. Now, you should know this, I have never given birth to a child, but I have been in the room where a child was birthed. And so I'm somewhat of an expert on this topic. <laughs> so I want to share with you my experience. I actually have a couple of pictures that we can show you. So here's a picture. Yeah, you always go nervous when someone says, hey, let me show you a picture of when my child was being born. Here's a picture of when I was in the room when Charlie George was born. And let me tell you, I cannot begin to describe how this was the most intense uh, most significant, uh, most emotional moment in my very young life, um, and my role in this moment was simply to hold ilsien 's hand. That was my contribution. Right? I held her hand right and i 'm so glad that that was my only role uh, because we were surrounded by people. Uh, who were way better prepared for this moment that we were, or at least I was. And so let me tell you that when we gave birth, there was a specialist in the room, a, a doctor um, who specialized in high-risk pregnancies. Uh, There were a couple of students who were eager to learn and took advantage of our situation. And so they were there in the room as well, and we welcomed them. But then we had these nurses that were ready to help and really prepare all the many details for this moment to happen. And then there was also the most serious person in the room by far, which was the anesthesiologist. Uh, They were so Uh, laser-focused. Ilsen and I described, man, that person was not nice until after birth. Then they were super nice. But I'm so grateful that they were laser-focused because they controlled her pain, right? And so there was all this happening, all these people in the room, but uh, there was uh, machinery and tools and beeps and sounds and gowns and gloves and masks. And this was our birth moment. We were Surrounded, and we're so grateful for that. But I contrast my experience with what we just read. I contrast that with Mary's experience in verse 7. She gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Friends, Um, There are a couple of sentences that capture this event. I I believe next to the resurrection, the greatest event in human history is described by Dr. Luke in one sentence. And so there's a lot of mystery as to what happened. But based on what I see here, here's what I've deducted. Mary gave birth to her firstborn. Mary wrapped him in cloths, and Mary placed him in a manger. Where was everyone else? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hope, I'm going to assume that Joseph was in the room. Holding your hand. <laughs> I hope he yeah, took some good pictures, let's just say that. we get to heaven, I'm going to ask Joseph for those pictures. But could you imagine... Um, And I know I'm speculating here. Could you imagine if she was alone or it was just her and Joseph? Here was this young couple tasked with with raising the savior of the world. This was their assignment. And look at their circumstances. A, a, A room better off for barn animals is what God chose to deliver our Savior. Talk about unplanned. Talk about hard. Talk about confusing. If I was Mary in this moment, I would ask myself, God, what gives? Is this a blessing? Am I truly blessed? Because this is scary. Because if we step back and consider just these verses, what Joseph and Mary have experienced, First, and we read in Matthew 1 and uh, earlier in Luke, that they have this life-disrupting news. Mary, you are going to have the child of God. Joseph, you have nothing to do with it, but marry her. (laughs) How life-disrupting is that? And then you have political disruption. You have this this power-hungry emperor saying, I don't care how long you have to travel, go travel A life-disrupting trip. And then they have this life-threatening experience of giving birth to a child with, from what I see, no medical help. You couldn't even call one of those nice British doulas from the Call the Midwife show, right? (laughs) I I watched that show in preparation for our birth, so I I felt well-prepared. And this is... In all of this, Mary and Joseph were experienced. Why? Why did they experience this? Because they had the faith to move into God's story. Isn't that incredible? And so I hope that the events of Christmas, as we think deeply of the people involved in the Christmas story, the way that we think deeply of who Jesus is and why he came and why that's significant for us today, I hope that we would all be moved and always be moved by the Christmas story. I hope that we would be moved this Christmas to make faith choices like Mary and Joseph, to draw near and trust to God, to consider the mystery of the birth of Jesus that would lead us to worship. And I hope that it moves us in specific ways. First, I hope that Christmas moves us to trust God with the unplanned. Now, I asked a moment ago how many of you have ever had life going away that you didn't plan, and most of you raised your hand. Well, I want us to consider what are some things that we are experiencing that's just not part of our plan. Whether it's a relationship that isn't going the way you had hoped or maybe ended in a way that you had not planned for. Is it maybe your finances or your job is going in a way or ended and that wasn't planned. Maybe you just had a recent doctor's appointment and you got a diagnosis that you had no plans for. I want us to consider this Christmas to take those unplanned things and move in faith, move in trust with God, who, by the way, has a history of taking messy and what seems unorganized and doing his greatest work. I mean, if there's anything we can reflect or take away from the Christmas story is that God is going to have his plan come to pass. Amen? Even if it means he's going to work through an emperor who happened to call a census exactly when he needed this family to move. Do you see that? Or move through the this young man, Joseph, who was going to be obedient to God's voice. And so um, the next thing is um, Christmas should move us to trust God with the heart. Now, if you've heard anything today, is that the Christmas story, it, it, it's, uh, it's, it's, not, it's, uh, it's not just this kind of fluffy story, right? It is a story of, of, of grit. It's a story of God needed to come through for this young couple. Um, and so um, I know uh, that many of us are facing hard things right now. May we be reminded that God is faithful in the heart, that he will not abandon us, although it feels like we're alone, but when we feel most alone, I believe that is when God is mostly there. We just have to believe. We have to leave room for the opportunity for him to strengthen and guide us. And so what is that hard thing that you're up against? It could be that you have some stuff that you need to confess to someone who is trustworthy and wise in your life. It could mean that this Christmas you need to do the hard work of forgiving and seeking reconciliation in a relationship that you know is important to God and to you. Maybe your hard thing is quitting a job. In saying yes to a calling. Maybe for you that hard thing is staying faithful to this relationship long after the feelings have gone away. What is the hard thing that the Christmas story inspires you to trust God in? I'm going to ask the band to come up because we're going to end with a song. And I want to make one final point, and that's this, that we know that the Christmas story should always inspire us to make room for Jesus. We read that there was no room for Mary and Joseph. And if you think about it in context, it would make sense you had this global movement of people, uh, where all the rooms were taken up, and so travel was hard, and so to find a place was difficult, but in God's sovereign plan, he meant for his son to be born this way. But when God first visited earth in the flesh, it seems to me that earth was not ready to receive him. We did not have room for him. We did not make room for him. We didn't know the gift that God was giving us. But we don't have to repeat that mistake, do we? Every Christmas and every day, you and I, we get to move to make room for Jesus. We get to invite him into the most intimate places in our lives. And so if you're here today and you know you haven't made room for Jesus, then why not this season? Why not receive him for who he is, your Lord and your Savior? So I'm going to invite everyone to just bow their heads with me as we prepare for a moment of prayer. And just give an opportunity for anyone in the room who has not said yes to the invitation that Jesus came to give. The Christmas story is just the beginning of Jesus' mission. His mission to die for humanity, to offer forgiveness of sins. And so if you've not said yes to what he came for, why not today? And so with heads bowed down, we're going to just invite you, if that's you, you've never said yes to Jesus, just look up at me, and you and I are going to agree of your faith decision to make room for Jesus this Christmas. If there's anyone in the room, just look up, and we will we will agree together. We'll celebrate together your decision. Reflect on the message today. Holy Spirit, with every heart and mind quiet in your presence, reveal to us the unplanned things, the hard things that you are asking that we surrender to you. Show us where we can follow you like Mary and Joseph obeyed, where we can see that you are the God that meets us in the unplanned and in the hard. Reveal to us those areas where you want to provide healing and restoration and order and blessing and abundance. God, we want to receive all that you have for us. And as we enter into this time of worship, Lord, let our hearts be worshipful. Let us be moved by your story this Christmas. Let us be in awe of who you are and what you continue to do in our lives. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name.